0: Welcome to Package, the official podcast of the Liquor Stores Association of Western Australia. Your host today, Peter Kapsanis.
1: Hello again, welcome to another edition of Package. Great to have your company. Our guest this week needs no introduction. He's been the face for hospitality in Western Australia for the past 20 years. Bradley Woods is the Chief Executive of of the hotels association of wa and has seen the industry change over the decades to tell us more on his thoughts on the future of the industry particularly on the back of the global pandemic he joins us on the line now how has the industry in wa bounced back or i guess more pointedly how is it recovering from the effects of COVID 19 over the last 18 months
0: well the last 18 months has certainly been one of the most tumultuous and Uh, challenging times for the Australian and West Australian hospitality, hotel and um, tourism industry. Um, No doubt that there's been a lot of pain suffered by many, many operators, uh, particularly those that have got a focus of on-premise but also accommodation, meetings, conferences, events and exhibitions, weddings and everything else that come with that. Um, The reality, though, is that uh, in the main, the bounce back since we've had full reopening and the removal of restrictions, we've seen some very, very good numbers and some very good uh, business outcomes for the bulk of the industry. Those that are really doing well are those in tourism areas that are easily accessible, those that are in suburban areas, those that are in inner inner suburban uh, bars and restaurants and pubs, um, and obviously outer in the suburbs and and regional parts of the state that have got accommodation and and holiday facilities. Where it's been tough, of course, is that Regional parts of the state that would normally be visited by interstate or international visitors, areas like the East Kimberley, um, have really suffered. Areas like the Central CBD that are used to having lots of business travel guests, uh, people uh, attending meetings, conferences, exhibitions and events that are not being held here to the way in which they were in the past or planned. Um, Those that have got restaurants and bars and function venues that are... Uh, centred around that type of business have really been affected. And of course, accommodation hotels that are hosting tourists from interstate and overseas have really been hit, hit as well. Um, but but in the main, the general hospitality, um, because West Australians can't go anywhere at the moment, uh, we're certainly seeing some very good business around um, our general hospitality sector.
1: Yeah, I'll get to that in a moment. But in terms of what... What's the industry done to get more of an equal footing on the back of the pandemic? I know you've lobbied uh, the government quite heavily last year to get that training funding package uh, in the main, that that COVID-19 certification uh, in in layman's terms. Um, What what other aspects and elements have you driven as an association, as an industry to sort of bounce back and I guess uh, make up for... For, for what can only be described as um, some heavy losses in some sectors of the industry, I would imagine. <laughs>
0: Look, sure. Look, I think it's a combination of what has the AHA done and what has other industry organisations, like liquor stores as well, Um, we've got shared successes and outcomes, but also what have the businesses done themselves. And WA's success in containing COVID has allowed venues to rebound strongly. Uh, If we were still subjected to lockdowns and restrictions on trading, as we are seeing in other states and territories, venues would be in a far weaker position and jobs would be jeopardised. We've um, worked with the state government very effectively and very collaboratively to try and ensure that as we had a graduated reopening of business trading conditions, um, that there was a a substantial amount of industry education, support, um, provision of advice in relation to understanding how to best do that. You mentioned earlier the COVID hospitality training that we implemented and we're one of the first jurisdictions in the world to have specific hospitality industry COVID training. Um, It's meant that that we've supported businesses in getting back into operation uh, by working with government and not being at loggerheads with them as well. And, um, you know, there's there's many venues that have had to also adjust their business models to accommodate local patrons only uh, to refocus on the domestic market because they've been so disrupted by what they were previously relying on, and that is the international interstate visitors.
1: Well, look, oh, OK, so you, you, you've touched on it again now in terms of domestic markets. I spent the weekend uh, down south, uh, a quick whirlwind uh, farm stay in Harvey, in our beautiful southwest. We were only, get, we were only able to get there because of a last-minute cancellation, so uh, we, we jumped on it. But otherwise, we were looking at early March next year. Uh, before we could a- have a crack at getting in this particular spot. Uh, and that goes the same for anywhere in, in the southern half of Western Australia in terms of finding family-oriented accommodation uh, you know, for days on end. It's kind of working in our favour uh, somewhat, this kind of uh, insular mode to an extent, isn't
0: it? It is, it is. And if you think of it in the um, international markets, Australian travellers overseas... Um, in the past I think spent up to three times more than what international travellers spend within Australia was in terms of the value of our international tourism so with Australians not being able to travel for business or leisure purposes and particularly West Australians not being able to leave the state and travel to other states there's a lot of built up spent uh, or spending power that comes with that and people are looking to travel and holiday at home Um, so the adage that Tourism Australia or the campaign that Tourism Australia launched that's holiday here this year, Uh, when they launched that last year, little did we realise how long we would be holidaying at home and how much of Australia we would be seeing but as you also say, there's very high demand and very um, limited amount of options available in the short term and it's really a matter of booking in advance and I think Peter, unfortunately we are going to see travel restrictions and limitations on our travel interstate and overseas for the unforeseeable future. Um, I don't want to put a timeline on it yet, and I know the Commonwealth has sort of indicated that in the next few months they're going to start seeing some international travel, but I think that will be very limited under very exceptional circumstances.
1: Yeah, well, Qantas have announced that they're going to resume international flights to LA and London. Uh, I think as soon as December this year. But um, you, the AHA, WA, you've put out, uh, your office has put out a, a release today urging all West Australians to get vaccinated um, to try and uh, stymie the threat of another lockdown uh, in the case, in the event uh, COVID-19 does come to town, so to speak. Is that, is that something that you support the state government on?
0: Well, we certainly support um, the uh, extensive amount of... Vac- ..as much extensive amount of vaccination as possible. It's clear that the evidence, the medical health evidence from overseas interstate, that those who are vaccinated, double-dose vaccinated, um, have a substantially, substantially less chance of developing um, uh, critical symptoms as a result of COVID-19. What we're saying is that we want to steer away from any consideration by the WA government to introduce vaccine passports or ideas IDs as a uh, proof of entry into a venue. So we don't want people locked out because they don't have um, some sort of vaccination proof. And the best way of doing that to avoid the government considering implementing that type of restriction or those types of checks on our citizens is to ensure that as many people as possible are vaccinated. Um, extensive... Yep.
1: Sorry, do you think a vaccine ID or passport system could in fact backfire and people would just avoid going to venues altogether? If That's it was if it was well to it be started. introduced?
0: Yeah, look, I think that is certainly one of the concerns that we have. There will be a portion of the population um, that will just not want to have to go through that rigmarole. I think in circumstances where you've got concerts, events, interstate travel, international travel, ticketed events, it's much easier to have a electronic um, tagging system that those tickets are only issued if you've got a vaccine approval or vaccine certificate. But in terms of uh, thinking about your average cafe, suburban pub, restaurant, uh, fine dining restaurant to implement a requirement where someone's standing at the door wanting to see a vaccination certificate, that is fraught with all sorts of disaster to the point that I think it would substantially uh, to, to put a downturn into the hospitality industry as we know it, but also uh, implement a whole range of unnecessary aggravation between customers and staff.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think you're right on the money with that. And have you made that point to the state government in terms of... Uh a vaccine passport slash ID system could be fraught with danger, as you said?
0: Yes, we have, and we'll continue to do that. The Premier today has uh, said that he certainly believes that a vaccine passport or or ID system is something that would be considered uh, much more easily for uh, flight travel, for uh, large public events. Um, but for pubs, restaurants, bars, etc., even the retail environment, he said it's something that would be examined down the track. And we want to give him confidence that we and other organizations are encouraging as many West Australians in terms of both our staff and customers to get vaccinated so they don't have to consider going down that path of making it mandatory.
1: Mm. And are your members, what's been the feedback from your members in terms of the whole concept of Of getting vaccinated, is there a sector that's pro, against, impartial?
0: Uh, look, really, I haven't come across anyone in the membership that's um, opposed to vaccination. Um, what we have experienced is uh, mandatory vaccination of staff and businesses not wanting to get into that legal minefield, and we support the right of our members to um, have their own policy with respect to that. Right. Crown, as a member of the AHA, announced yesterday that it would, in the future, make it mandatory for staff to have double vaccination and for patrons to be vaccinated as well, and that's something that we would support their to make that individual decision but as far as all venues are concerned it's something they need to weigh up on a case-by-case or venue by venue basis all
1: right what about post-pandemic and this is i guess the encouraging people to get vaccinated for those who who want to and feel they should um what about uh, and it's one measure of, of i guess uh, uh laying out that roadmap post-pandemic what else do you see happening um you know post pandemic although it's it's hard to have a crystal ball at the moment um do you, do you feel that this is kind of the norm the norm rather uh, for the as you said the unforeseeable future for the next I'll say I'll put I'll put a timeline on it for the next couple of years at least
0: I'd probably say you could go beyond the next couple of years and probably say at least the next five years and possibly, depending upon the variants of COVID-19, the next decade in terms of seeing all sorts of different conditions in place around protection of individuals and communities. Um, Certainly going forward, we know that there's been variations to COVID-A, which was the the variant that came out last year. We've seen um, COVID Delta, Um, We've seen COVID-E, we've seen now COVID-M or MU as some some call it um, has emerged and and each and every one of them has different complications. But the reality of these viruses and the nature of them is they twist and adapt and morph and we just don't know where it could head in the future. What we do know is that each and every time there is a new variant, there are going to be more challenges and more threats to uh, public-facing businesses, businesses that are in the public space and public-facing side of of, of retail um we know that retail businesses are going to experience more challenges and society and community as a general but if we also go back 100 years we can look at what happened with polio in terms of the uh, inoculation with um various other diseases that were around at the turn of the last 18th, 19th century. Um, And uh, there's always going to be timelines to these things and general vaccination across the board. What we'll also see, I think, when the borders do reopen eventually and and hopefully in the next year or two, we are going to see much greater freedom both interstate and overseas, is that the the strong demand we've seen locally um, that has met the people on travelling overseas and interstate, we'll see that local demand continue with increased visitation to regional parts of the state. People have experienced it, they've enjoyed it, they've got up to the Kimberley, they've got up to the Coral Coast, they've been to parts of the southwest they've never been before. And I think people will fall in love with parts of West Australia and continue to support them. Maybe not because they have to, but because they love travelling to those parts as well. And I see that as a, a good long term impact for small and regional businesses in WA.
1: Bradley Tim- terms of the tourism space, uh, do you think that we are, as as a state, as an industry, as a government, do you think we're embracing the opportunity? How, how can we leverage off uh, COVID nineteen and its, I guess, its uh, uh, well unpopular ability to restrict, but I guess it's forcing us to travel in, in our own backyard. How do we how do we br- leverage this and and spin it positively and send the message beyond? To make it to sort well, of present WA as yeah. the place to be? The,
0: the very nature of our position in the globe means that we're in a relatively isolated space. Um, you know, we're one of the longest haul destinations to get to from the Northern Hemisphere. And so with that comes challenges, but there's also benefits, as we've seen with COVID 19. Um, we've been isolated both the physical isolation and the um, additional isolation that governments have put in with restrictions on movement into the state has meant that we're much safer now moving forward, um, we're never going to be a mass market for mass tourism, but what we are is we're a boutique destination potentially and particularly for high spending business visitation, conferences, events, uh, individual travellers, travelling for business, but also leisure. And leisure that's attracting um, high spend visitors, those that have got um, what we would call high high yield tourists. They want to get the charter flights up to the northwest, they want to go to the bungle bungles, they want to experience the Pink Lakes. They want to get down to the southwest and take a charter helicopter and visit a pristine winery and visit some great liquor stores and bottle shops to pick up some vintage uh, West Australian cabernets. You know, the, these types of travellers are the ones that are very targeted marketing. Um, it's not about just having a broad sweeping tourism marketing campaign in state or overseas, but it's about very laser targeting the right niche groups that are the best options for tourism advancement and development within Western Australia. And that sits very nicely with Tourism Australia's own um, marketing of the key markets that it tries to attract, that is, higher spending tourists that have got more time and more money to spend within the Australian market.
1: You've mentioned bottle shops and liquor stores a few times, and obviously the LSA represents those stores and those members across the state. And the LSA and the AHA have collaborated quite strongly in more recent years on the banned drinkers register. As you know, uh, the BDR is now uh, has been rolled out across the Pilbara and the Kimberley, and the next cab off the rank is Kaggle in the wider goldfields later this year, slash early next year. What have your members on the ground told you about the benefits of the BDR? Sure,
0: all well, the The premise and the concept of the Banned Drinkers Register is strong within our membership. They see it as targeting problem drinkers as opposed to restricting entire communities from accessing a legal product with the various restrictions that have been put in place over the last decade. Its success, however, is dependent on the WA police populating the register with those problem drinkers, those recidivist problem drinkers, and we need to see a substantial increase in the number of people on the BDR in remote and regional areas of the state where there are massive problems to see its success maximised. And we certainly encourage and support the police having the powers to be able to do that, but also local magistrates having the ability to go through that process Mm -hmm. as well. And it's something that um, I think the AHA and the LSA, as you said, have worked very collaboratively, very well together on a joint policy initiative that's been going for over a decade now. And it's great to see the state government supporting and adopting um, the recommendations of industry, much to the opposition as it was originally, um, by health and police going back some time. And uh, it's good to see that Minister Papalia, uh, Minister Whitby and the Premier, Health Minister Roger Cook have got behind this and now supporting it.
1: Do you see the BDR moving to the on premise seen anytime soon
0: I don't because I think the um, the nature of BDR is to is to implement restrictions on those who've got problematic drinking behaviours particularly behind closed doors and in places where they're not monitored and under the strict supervision as are required by the law um, by licensees when it's on premise. And that's a very different set of circumstances. Um, We've had those requirements and those restrictions where we can monitor people over the years and we've already got the effect of, we don't need a BDR on-premise because we already have the outcome and effect of it and that is the ability to restrict or ban people from premises if they are problems and misbehaving on a venue. So in that sense it really is targeted for takeaway and off-premise consumption.
1: We've seen the WA Labor Party return to power with an overwhelming majority. What liquor reforms will you be pushing or have you been pushing uh, during this term of government for the next four years, Bradley?
0: Sure. Look, I I think the key areas where there's opportunity here is further streamlining of regulation, red tape, and the sort of anomalous requirements on the industry that have been there since the, you know, the mid 18th century that really are, um, I suppose, uh, historical hangovers mm-hmm. from old liquor acts as well. The structure of the liquor industry in the state, the types of licenses, the, the core obligations, the responsibilities, the act's been updated or amended at least once every three or four years over the last two decades. And so it is relatively up to date on the day to day needs of industry so that they can operate at the, you know, a fairly entrepreneurial level, particularly the changes that were brought in by the McGowan government in its last term of office. They were extremely welcomed. Um, and going forward, where we think there is opportunity here is particularly uh, to improve red tape and reduce the regulation and, and the business of administrating. I mean, people who are operating hotels, hospitality venues, um, bars, liquor stores, taverns, they're in the business of hospitality. They're not in the business of being paper pushers and being bureaucrats so we're trying to move away from that and to have more of an automated system and more of an online system as well where licensees can do things more efficiently and effectively um, and to move away from a lot of the compliance requirements that are there about keeping files and documents on premise for police to come and inspect but instead having things electronically available so that it's almost an acceptance that they're doing the right thing as opposed to not the
1: norm you're pretty happy where the liquor control act sits at the moment you're not
0: looking to sort of
1: review any particular elements of it over the next term of government Mm -hmm.
0: Look, there's always um, elements of it that we could see improved and there's ways in which we'd like to see something simplified and maybe some better protections for licensees and and, uh, license holders, um, particularly where you've got, you know, vexatious customers and those that are likely to try and create problems for us. But in the main, um, we don't see any sort of overwhelming push or need for a major liquor act review or overhaul. Those things um, are probably more like a once in 10 year occasion than anything else. And I think that the changes made by the state government for the last state election in the first term of the mcgowan government went a long way to updating it and keeping it current
1: bradley before we do let you go just outside of COVID and the bureaucracy there's been a series of unprovoked attacks uh in perth in our city in recent weeks with much public attention i guess the standout one the more recent one is the the young soccer player from june who was uh who was king hit uh in perth and uh, he's uh He's been on in, in ICU, in critical condition, in an induced coma, and his parents basically were r- flown, rushed in from, from the UK, now in quarantine for the next two weeks. Um, does this negative publicity affect the industry at all? Does it deter people from going out and enjoying a night out?
0: Well, well I think, firstly, Peter, it was a terrible situation, that, that freak accident that did occur, and it's a tragedy for that that young guy and obviously his family and I'm not sure, I know you're pretty involved in the in the soccer <laughs> game and I'm not sure if you, you personally knew him or not um, but certainly um, you know, uh, I think anyone who is injured or hurt in a public place like that, um, you know, you really do feel sorry and and it's unacceptable. And, and clearly, when it occurs in areas where there's bars, pubs, taverns or liquor stores, and we get unfairly blamed as the cause of the antisocial behaviour, that's when it comes back and kicks us as an industry, right yes. where it hurts. If people come into an entertainment area like Northbridge and are already under the influence of drugs or excessive alcohol, it's an issue that needs to be addressed through effective, um, obvious physically present policing and the police need as much support as they can be given to ensure that they can be publicly present and seen. Um, Our city as as a world-class city needs to be safe in order to be attractive, vibrant and a great entertainment precinct and uh, the Lord Mayor Basil Zemplis, one of his key um, policy on uh, policies on being elected into the Lord Mayorship was to secure think, an extra 200 police for the city and um, we're certainly supportive of seeing him achieve that outcome if he can, it's a decision of the state government but certainly we'd love to see more physical policing I think in, in Perth and the inner suburbs and I think everyone would, would certainly welcome that
1: Absolutely, now before we do let you go Bradley, I'm not sure if many of our listeners know but You're a Queenslander originally, is that right?
0: Well, I was born in Queensland. (laughs) I lived in Queensland for 21 years, Peter. I've lived in Perth and WA now for 23 years. I lived in Tassie for four and Canberra for two. So I think given that I've lived in WA for the longest time, it makes me a West Australian now.
1: Yes, you're a sand grouper, absolutely. But you you went from (laughs) Queensland to Canberra with the AHA and then Tasmania and now for the last 20 years, as I mentioned in my intro, you've been at the helm of AHA, WA. What? makes you get out of bed each morning and do what you do?
0: I think um, I enjoy the challenges, that obviously drives me, but I enjoy knowing that what we deliver and what we do as an organisation achieves two things. It helps our industry be successful in what our members, owners and operators are trying to do and it provides the public a really much needed um, social source of uh, relaxation mental health support and the ability to socialize you know as humans we we sleep for eight hours we work for eight hours and then we interact with our family and friends potentially through sport or whatever it might be for another eight hours and and I think hospitality is all part of that extra eight hours where we can connect with people. It's part of the human experience. It's about creating relationships. It's about stress relief. It's around meeting uh, future spouses or, uh, or getting together with families. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the thought and the knowledge that, that myself and my staff and our board are part of what makes a great hospitality industry for WA is a fantastic reason to get out of bed and uh, I think that's, in terms of the work reason to get out of bed, that's, that's a great motivator. And um, I think making that difference every day and, and, and in everything we do, every single question we ask ourselves within the organisation here is what we're doing helping our members and ultimately hospitality in WA by every single way we support the industry, decisions we make, policy, day-to-day work, if we're not doing something that's supporting the industry, we're not something that helps our members in their businesses and delivers a better outcome for hospitality and tourism in the state, then we shouldn't be doing it. But what we do is we test everything we do. Like me talking to you right now and sharing this insight mm. is about supporting the industry, and that's that's why we do what we do, and that's why what I do, what I do.
1: Bradley Woods... Thanks for your time. It's your debut on Package today, but hopefully you're not a stranger and we can have you back on the show sometime really, really soon.
0: Absolutely, Peter. Thanks very much for having a chat today.